Focus on Creative podcast, where we hear from creative experts, influencers, dreamers, and doers, what they've learned and what we can learn from their journey as we explore, respond, and create. Hello, hello, hello. This is Rich Langton, and we're back for another episode of the Hillsong Creative Podcast. I can't believe it, but we're already at the end of season four. We've worked really hard to bring you some great content this season, and the feedback has been amazing. So thank you for letting us know that you're enjoying it, and keep that feedback coming, and we'll do our best to keep bringing you really great stuff. So this season, we've been answering some of your questions and um, a lot of them have been around leading creative teams and particularly in churches. Um, Obviously, I'm a creative pastor along with Cass. And so as a result of you asking about that, we thought a great way to wrap up the season would be maybe to give you some thoughts that, that I have around leading a creative team. So let's jump into it and please stick around to the end because we'll be answering some more of your questions. I think that being a creative leader and, you know, pastoring and leading creatives is the best thing ever. And I'm just privileged to be able to do it at Hillsong Church. And um, I hope that you guys feel the same about where you come from. So um, are you just the leader or are you leading? Which I think is a really interesting and maybe a profound question to ask ourselves because when it comes to doing what we do, I think that getting it done side of things can be uh, easy in a sense, there's lots of it, takes a lot of work, but that's kind of the easy part. And I find the leadership part actually the hard part. And I think sometimes as leaders, we forget that what we're actually doing is leading people. If your role is anything like mine, we're not just looking after the rosters and, and making sure Sundays happen and that special moment comes off without a hitch. We are doing that, but we're doing it with people. We're leading people and um, hopefully our primary thinking is that we're leading them to Christ, we're leading them in their discipleship and their in their spiritual journey. The thing about being a leader is that if you forget about it and just work on the stuff, then people will think you're doing fine for quite a while because you're getting the stuff done. Sundays, you know, they keep rolling and um, as long as that worship leader is, gets up and leads the worship and, you know, the service runs smoothly and the communion item happens at the right time and all of that, then people will think you're doing okay. In actual fact, I think there's so much more to the whole leadership side of what it is we do. And it's something that we really have to work on. I often use this example. Someone like Cass walks into the room and you like her just because she smiles at you. We did our strength finders test and she has woo at like one or two, it's right way up there on the list. You meet her and you want to do everything she says. And so from a leadership perspective, she's got one up on me because I don't have woo even in my top 20. You meet me and you want to maybe hang out, but you don't want to do anything that I'm telling you to do. And so leadership is something we actually have to work on and grow and develop and really be intentional about. So I was reading a business study on attributes of great leaders. And so this company, they they interviewed 330,000 bosses and employees and peers and, you know, people about what it is, the traits that great leaders have. And as I was reading it, every single one of them were the things that I'm trying to develop in myself and in our team. It's so pertinent to what we do as a church. I feel like it's obviously really good for the business world, but, but that the sort of characteristics that all of us need to be developing. 
And so I've got this 10 leadership traits. In the moment, you can think, okay, am I doing this well? I'm not doing it well. And then hopefully when you go home, you can work on them. And we've got a question to ask yourself for each point and also a resource. So you can walk away and the things that you're struggling with, maybe it's just one, one thing that I've found helpful. Most of them are books and there's a couple apps and other things. So the first thing, the number one trait that they say great leaders need, or it was like the consensus, and I would agree with this, is that great leaders, they need to be able to inspire and motivate other people. And like I said, Cass has woo. It's easy for her. She's able to do that without even trying. But for the rest of us, or some of, some of us at least, we actually have to work on the ability to inspire others. So we have pre-service prayer meetings. And I noticed that some of our worship leaders, when they walk into the room, they walk in very timidly and reflectively and they've just had a moment with the Lord. And you know, it's been great for them, but then they walk into a room of people who are just looking to them for what the service is gonna be like. What is their expectation of this service? What's God gonna do in this service? And so then when they say, oh, we're just gonna meet with the Lord. You know, the choir and all of the team are are like, okay, yeah, that'd be great. And then they walk out into the service with that kind of like, yeah, just gonna meet with the Lord. And then you notice at 8 a.m. on a Sunday morning that the congregation responds to that sort of lethargy, that level of enthusiasm. And yet you look at other people, they walk into the room, they're prayed up, they're ready to go, and they've got something to inspire the team with. And then they bring a story of someone who's encountered God and it lifts your spirit, it lifts your expectation for that service, and it just changes the full dynamic then of not just the prayer meeting, but of the whole day. Because if you start the day there, it can only get better. And yet it's not something that comes naturally or easily to people. Inspiration and motivation. I think of King David with his mighty men. He obviously had something about him that made those men drop what they were doing, go into enemy territory and get a drink for him. And he brings it back and he pours it out. And they, I mean, it doesn't say if they're offended or not, but they don't seem to be. They seem to recognise that it was a holy moment. I wonder though, for you guys, if you ask that same question of your team, would they actually do it? And I think sometimes, like in the past, I've blamed our team. I've gone, why, why don't they just follow me? Why don't they do what I ask them to do? Why are they so lethargic? Why don't they have any enthusiasm? And then I realise, oh, it's because I'm not enthusiastic. It's because I'm not giving them anything to follow anything to be inspired about. And as leaders, I think we obviously we need to be the sort of people that, that others want to follow. Um, and then we have to give them something to follow. So if there's a question here, my question for this one is when you communicate with your team, do they respond with enthusiasm or apathy? And I would suggest that it's not always their fault. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it's ours. Number two, great leaders, they have high levels of integrity and honesty. I always turn to Ephesians 4, where it says that we're to live up to the gospel. It's a picture of a set of scales. It's like the gospel's a really weighty thing. This call that we have, it's really weighty. 
and it's on one side of the scales and our lives are on the other side. And then I think about this high levels of integrity and honesty. I wonder how balanced we would be if the call of God is on one side and our life is on the other. These points, as I said, they come from a business world. I think it's really interesting that in the business world, they value integrity and honesty. How much more should we value those things? Living weighty lives up to the weight of this call that we have. It's really easy when you're wanting to get someone to do something to kind of maybe just tell them a little white lie or just bend the truth a little bit so that they do what you need them to do. If someone's saying, oh, I'm going to have a really late night on Saturday, I don't think I'm going to be able to make Sunday, then you can make something up to make them do it or you can tell them it's going to be really special when it's really not or um, I don't know what it is for you or what things you've got to get done so much that it would maybe question your integrity. But I would suggest that we need to have, as my mum would say, she'd say, Rich, you've got to have truth in your soul so that you're living this life of integrity and people, when they look at you, they see truth. They know truth. It comes out when you do ask someone to do something and you're truthful. They know that you're truthful. You really need them. You're not just saying you need them. They actually know it and they know that you're not just asking them because you've got to get something done. You're asking them out of love for them, giving them an opportunity to serve the Lord. There's a whole, I think, a way of thinking that we have to have when it comes to our people and the way we approach them and then the way they see us. Do they see us as someone who's just getting them to do all the work while we sit back or are we in it with them? I think these things are really important and they reflect our integrity and our honesty. How truthful can you be with your team? How transparent are you with them? Sometimes you have to keep some things to yourself. You have to have people that you share things with. But honestly, I think we can be sometimes trying to be too much the leader and we don't lead by creating transparent situations where we are transparent with them as, the, as well as them with us. And so with that, there's a question we should answer, which is, do you turn up when you said you'd turn up, having done all you said you would do? Because as the leader, it's really easy to expect the choir to learn the lyrics, you know, the sound guy to have learnt his craft and for the band to learn the charts, but then we don't actually turn up ready. Like I said about prayer meetings or those times where we're standing in front of people, they're our chance to come ready. And sometimes we forget that we maybe have said yes to things implicitly. It's implied that as a leader, you would lead. (laughs) We've said yes to actually being someone worthy of following. We actually have to step up and do that. So do you turn up when you said you'd turn up, having done all you said you would do implicitly and or explicitly? Number three, they solve problems and analyse issues. You know, great leaders are trusted to bring change. In our world, you know, Cass and I have had the privilege really of growing good relationship with Pastor Brian and Bobby. So much so that Brian will ask Cass what she thinks about things. He'll seek her opinion on on things. Things like this conference, he's pretty much allowed her to do whatever because he's trusting her to do that. And he knows that we will do our very best to outwork the vision. 
it's our vision now. It's not just their vision, but we're trying to build this thing together. And with that, sometimes when our senior leadership, you know, when they've got something in mind, it's so easy to not want to do their thing, but to want to do your thing. Or, you know, you can just see the problems in their thing. And so you're like, ah, we should just do my thing. Instead though, great leaders are able to look at their leadership and work out solutions to the problems with their thing, if that makes sense. Instead of just suggesting your thing or an alternate, sometimes that is the solution, but, but sometimes we have to just put our thing aside, our idea, our way of doing it, and get on board with their way of doing it for the sake of unity, for the sake of submission, and actually come up with solutions to their problems. We always say that we come with solutions, not problems. You will see things in your churches just as we see in ours, little things that aren't the way they should be, little errors that happen and stuff that goes wrong. And it's so easy to just point the finger, to say, ah, they should fix that. Why doesn't anybody see that? Those lyrics, they're wrong. Video didn't come up at the right time. There's no chairs, there's rubbish on the floor. And, And to point out all of the problems But a great leader will not just see the problems, they'll actually come with solutions and see a need and just meet it and not point the finger, not expect someone else to do it and not just see the problem. I've found in my own life when I see the problems and I don't say anything and I don't do anything about it, the problem just festers within me. Eventually I'm talking to Cass about the problem of those, that kids' department and how they don't do anything and they should really fix that, you know, that issue. And, and then I've got her on board now and now she's talking about it and now it becomes this big deal. And it was actually not a big deal. I probably could have just had a conversation with someone, brought a solution, maybe even helped them solve the problem, maybe created some unity instead of disunity. As great leaders, if we're going to be lead in every sphere of life, then we've got to bring solutions and not just problems. So I think this is really interesting. What's one problem in your world that you could solve today? Might not be in your area, but something that's been niggling you that you could actually solve. Because I would suggest that it's a great way to think is to go, what can I do today? Let's solve that today. Let's not wait till tomorrow. Let's not wait till I get home. Let's solve it today. Get it out of the way. Let it not fester and become a thing. Already number four, great leaders, they have a personal drive for results. I love this one, a personal drive for results. I don't know what it's like for you in your world, but in my world, I look at my key leaders and often I'm just so disappointed that they don't have more drive. I'm wanting them to like just get on with it and get going and like to own stuff. I would much rather have to slow someone down than to try to rev them up. You know, if someone's enthusiastic, let them run with their enthusiasm rather than just um, trying to get them going. Sometimes I think that people aren't enthusiastic or they don't get going because they think we're going to change it anyway. Um, So they do the job and then we come in and change it, um, which we do. (laughs) But other times they're they're just not inspired, going back to our other point. We haven't given them anything to actually get on with. But great leaders, they have a personal drive for results. And here I think the things that matter should be measured. So we count obviously attendance in church and we count, so for creative, we, we count who's at team night 
and we measure, you know, we have a nation builders giving um, that happens at team night. I measure that. I'm looking at that. And some of our locations, you know, they're more enthusiastic about that than others. (laughs) But the, the way I think about particularly numbers is that it's not for numbers sake. Like I love big crowds. I love I love the enthusiasm of, and the momentum that, that a large number brings. But in reality, what I care more about is that one person who's not there. Sounds familiar? Sounds like Jesus, that he cares about the one. I want to be like that. And people would always say, oh, why do you count? Why do the numbers matter? They matter for the one, the one who's missing. And not to get them in trouble for not attending, but to ask them if they're okay, to see why they wouldn't be there, to make sure that they're actually journeying and traveling okay. When it comes to the giving, I always think about if my wage depended on the, the level of my giving, how I would sort of feel. So our nation builders giving, it goes to all of our international, you know, nation builders. It goes to our international campuses and our international missions. And I think sometimes I see the giving, you know, there's made up numbers, but there's, let's say, 100 people at team night in some location and they go $4.35. I'm like, man, if I had to live on $4.35 for the week, that's not enough. We need to actually be more generous because there are literally people living off this finance. And so if we don't measure it, we don't know. And if we don't know, we can't steward what it is we're meant to be stewarding. We can't do a good job with what God's entrusted for us to do. And so... I guess the thing, the question there might be, what's one area that you're passionate about seeing results in? And are you measuring its progress? Number five is great leaders communicate powerfully and prolifically. Powerfully and prolifically. I think this is slightly different to being able to inspire people because as a leader, you find that you have to repeat yourself a lot because people don't hear it. Like we have church news every week and for the worship conference, we've had worship and creative conference on church news in our services, all of the services for quite a number of weeks in the lead up. And yet I still meet people in our team So these aren't new people, these aren't people just in the congregation, but people who are actually rostered to play or do something in our team. And they're like, ah, it's worship conference coming up. And I'm like, like, dude, we've been talking about it for a year and then it's been right in front of you in every service and at team night, we've been talking about it. We've done devotionals. We've had a 100-day creative challenge around it. We've talked about it a lot and you still don't hear it. The thing is, as great leaders, we can't get sick of our own voice. And we can't get sick of saying the same things kind of over and over and over. And I think we have to find different ways to say the same things because that's how we build culture, by saying the same things and just harping on about the same things over and over and over. And it's not always about advertising like the worship conference as I'm talking about. It's other things like what you would like the team to be or where you're going as a creative team. What do you want it to look like? You know, we often will say, we do this. We're the team that does this. We're the team that doesn't do that. (laughs) We say it a lot, depending on what it is. So a good example might be, this could be the one. I think you've probably heard a number of times already in the conference and we've only been going a day or two. That's because that's something that we're, I guess, we're really coming around as a theme at the moment for our creative team and, and wider than that. We're really believing that this service, this next service or this next opportunity to gather 
could be the one for someone. could be the one that God provides a miracle. It could be the one where prayer is answered. It could be the one where someone finds salvation. We could say that just one time and people go, oh, that was good. Yeah, nice. Oh, yeah, that could be the one. But then if we say it again and again, then other people start to get it in their spirit. And, and if you say it from different angles and then you, and you tell stories about it, once this was the one for someone, then you can continue to talk about those things that really matter to you. Pretty much, I think everywhere we've been, we've talked about the creative compass because it really matters to us. We're, re- we're actually genuinely trying to push our global team in the same direction. And so it's been on the podcast. We've done blog posts about it. We've been Instagramming about it. We talk about it in our prayer meetings. We talk about it in a team night. We've talked about it now at conference. We've been to our global campuses and we talked about it there. Everywhere we go, we're talking about the same thing and we're talking about it over and over and over. And even this morning's presentation, that was a whole new presentation of the same information that we've been talking about over and over and over again. If you want people to hear it, if you want them to get on board, you need to repeat yourself a lot. And these days, we have so many ways we can communicate to people. I wrote down just a few. You can FaceTime someone (laughs) and talk about the creative compass or whatever your thing is. You can WhatsApp them. You can uh, write a card and post it. You could actually call them. You could turn up at their house. You could, um, maybe not, you could write a blog post, you could email them, you could talk about it in a service, you could do a video, you could do it in a team night. There's so many different ways. You can Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram. Please don't hear that I'm saying you should advertise and just push your message, like sell to your team. I'm not suggesting that. I'm just saying you should authentically talk about the things that matter over and over so that people actually get it in a real and genuine way. So the question here is, do you intentionally say the same things multiple different ways across multiple different platforms? Sometimes I think that I would just like to be able to just say something once, like I said it to you, why don't you get it? And just leave it with them. But we have to repeat ourselves just so they can get it. We'll get right back to the episode brought to you by our Hillsong Worship and Creative Conference. It's for every kind of creative, whether you're a musician, singer, a graphic designer, architect, an audio engineer, or video editor. It's a place for the artists of the church to gather together to worship, to be inspired and refreshed, and to be equipped and trained for your sphere of creativity. Find out more details at hillsong.com forward slash WCC. Now, let's get back to the episode. Alrighty, number six. Great leaders build authentic relationships. This one's a big one, I think, um, particularly in bigger churches where you have a lot of people. Because, for example, I have key team that we work with uh, for all of the Australian campuses. And we meet weekly and um, then they have their key teams and then they have their local teams. And so there's a lot of people and a lot of sort of levels and hierarchies of leadership. And I don't know everybody. But because I don't know everybody, and even in a situation like this, I could so easily just choose to be distant and choose to just be the leader who's not really with anybody And then when I am with people, I could just choose to kind of just get the stuff done and make it about the stuff. And it's a trap. Yeah, I don't know any other way to put it than it's a trap because eventually 
people will be in a situation and they'll realise that you don't care. (laughs) And even if you, in your heart of hearts, you really do, haven't invested any relationships. And so it can sort of work against you as well. So they realise you don't care, but then you realise they don't care. So a few um, years back now, I remember sitting with Casper on our, on our balcony at home. I remember having a conversation around the fact that we didn't have any friends. <laughs> we're busy in ministry doing this thing. And then it was like, we're having this conversation about you know, 10 or 20 years time. Imagine in 10 years time, are we gonna be happy with the relationships we have? And I realised that it wasn't gonna be because we hadn't invested in, in any real, authentic, proper relationships. We're doing a lot of life with a lot of people and we could be fooling ourselves to think that they know us and we know them and we're in each other's worlds, but they really weren't. If we're going to have real relationships, we've got to give people something to get to know. You know, let's not just be people who tell people what to do, who lead people, but who don't actually live lives. People will be more inspired by your failures than your successes. People won't look at you how great you are and think, oh, I could be like that. Some will. There's an element of that. But there's also an element to just sharing with people the journey, how you got to be doing what you're doing. And it's a real tricky balance because that can then seem like, you know, woe is me, I'm the worst. And gee, I, don't, I shouldn't even be doing this. I'm not suggesting that, but I'm just saying that there's a level of, of sort of transparency or, or sort of sharing in relationship that we need to do. There's obviously there's balance in that because you need to make sure that the parent, that you have real close friends um, that you share lots with, and then you have maybe a wider group that you share less with. But but you have to have some people who are looking out for you and caring for you, and vice versa. Alrighty. So as far as relationships go, who's that one person right now, like as in now, that you should invest relationally into? Who's that one person that you should, you should actually be sowing into? Not because they're going to do something for you, but just, just to be a friend, to have relationship. I hope someone comes to mind and I hope that you end up taking them on the journey and they become a real trusted friend for you. Alrighty, number seven, great leaders display technical and professional expertise. This is a challenging one. We all, I presume, we all want excellence in our teams. We all want them to be just next level, to be, you know, killing it as far as skill goes. We want them to come prepared to to everything that we're doing. And if you're like me, I'm often disappointed when people don't come ready. But I'm starting to realise that we have to be leading in this area as well. Leading in the area of expertise. We can't be the person who's just telling them to get better at their craft and then we're not leading the way. I heard recently that Celine Dion, if there's any fans, I'm not sure, but Celine Dion still has a vocal coach, still has a teacher. After all these years of singing daily and of travelling the world and of touring and just being at the top of her game, she's still learning. And then I look at at myself and I think, in what areas am I growing expertise in? If I'm growing in my, you know, what areas am I growing in my leadership? Um, When it comes to pastoring, am I an expert? (laughs) And what does that even look like? You know, what does it look like to be a, 
an expert pastor? Because sometimes I think, at least in our world, it can become very administrative, getting stuff done. And in actual fact, I think maybe an expert pastor is someone who can shepherd the flock really well, who doesn't lose any of the sheep, who doesn't let them wander off and who notices when they do. They say that it takes 10,000 hours to become an expert, but in reality, it's 10,000 intentional hours. You can't just pick up a violin and hold it for 10,000 hours and then think you're a violinist. And I don't think you can be a pastor, a real expert, if that makes sense, without intentionality, without actually growing some people skills, without working on your fears and your um, insecurities, without actually knowing who you are and working out why people do or don't resonate with you. There's so much we can work we can do on ourselves to become better and therefore lead the way and therefore be able to have integrity and honesty when we ask someone to get better. We're not asking them to do anything that we wouldn't be prepared to do. It's really easy to just want other people to do all the work, but in actual fact, great leaders set the standard. <laughs> so question here is what's one area you need to get better at and what's one thing you're going to do to take the first step? Just one thing. It might be read a book. It might be attend a class. It might be have coffee with a pastor who's down the track a little ways. Maybe it is to work on your administrative skills. You know, some of us aren't strong in that area. Just one thing. Just work on one thing. Number eight, great leaders create strategic perspective. Some of your church leaders um, will be like Pastor Brian. You've got, you know, real good strategic thinkers and visionary leaders. And some of you won't. Some of you will be part of churches that where the leader couldn't care less about what you're doing in the creative team. Doesn't even, you know, doesn't care what songs you do or what instruments you have, as long as it's not too loud and uh, doesn't disturb too many people. And in that instance, and, and even within the places where there's great vision, I, th- I think we still need to have our own strategic perspective. So how are you outworking that vision? And not just, again, I guess, not just getting it done. It's real easy to think about this Sunday and what you have to do. And it's then, I guess, well, what's next? Well, Christmas is next. Okay, that's our strategy. We get through every week until Christmas. I don't think that's really a strategy, you know. That's just a bit of a plan for getting stuff done. I guess the idea would be to think long-term about the vision of the team. So the way we do that is it starts generally with the people. What do I see for the people in the team? So that young, you know, guitarist who's just starting to play on a Sunday, what do you see for them in five years' time? Who will they be? How will you develop their character and disciple them and shepherd them? And also, how will you help them to develop their craft? And we often talk about pastoring the gift and the person. Um, It's really the person, but there's multiple facets to that. There's their spiritual life and, you know, their home life and then what they bring, their craft. And often I think people care more about the craft. We care about what they can give us rather than about what we can develop and put into them. And so then we start with people. We start with that 15-year-old, that young person, that older person, 
What do you see for them? And we try our very best to have vision for the individuals within the team. But the heart of it is that we would want people to be succeeding and moving forward. And if they're moving forward, then the team and the church will move forward. So what's your strategic vision for the people? And then what kind of a team do you want to build? You know, is it a team that is like us? We're a creative team. And so we're trying to, I guess, develop all the different facets that we can think of of the arts. We were a worship team and then the production team joined the worship team and the TV team joined the worship team and then it didn't make sense to call it a worship team anymore. So that's why we became the creative team. But maybe in your church, you are a worship team and maybe you're going to just develop that area and you're going to hone that. And maybe that means songwriting and maybe that means special moments. And maybe that means creating tracks and developing new ways of doing songs. I don't know. But for us, it's real broad. It may be not what you should do, but I'm just trying to give ideas of how you can think more strategically about your team, how you can expand your team. The other thing is on that is that sometimes we put out a call to people, hey, we need people for the Christmas service or for the Easter service, and no one puts their hand up. And we realise that it's so much nicer to be invited to participate than it is just to go, hey, if you're not doing anything, come and help us. You know, an invitation to do a specific task or a specific role to perform that and, and then putting context around that of, hey, supposing it's honest and true and has integrity, to say, hey, I've been praying about the Christmas spectacular and I've been looking at the script and I'd really love to invite you to be a part of, you know, whatever it is, the Santa moment (laughs) on that. That just came to me. But we have a guy in our Brisbane campus who is Santa in the local shopping centre and he looks like the real Santa. And I love it so much because he's become part of our team and and he shares his story about how when the kids come, I'm not sure what you think about Santa, but when the kids come and meet with him, he is able to encourage them and, you know, speak life into them and he takes it so seriously, but then he's able to translate that into church as well because the kids want to come and see Santa at Christmas time. So he's able to use that gift and see if we just went, oh, Man, he's, got, he's an old guy with a big beard and, he, you know, whatever. We couldn't look past him. And in actual fact, he's got something to offer. And sometimes we just have to dig deep enough with people to be able to see it. Maybe even take the time to um, do the work to include them already. So strategic thinking. When would be one hour? When are you going to set aside one hour to think about the next one year? And you probably do this when it comes to the calendar. But what about, like, the team? In one year, what kind of a team do you want to have? And then, obviously, strategically thinking, what are the steps you're going to put in place to get there? Because it won't just happen. Number nine, great leaders develop others. I guess I spoke a little bit about this, but Cass mentioned earlier that the people in the Creative Compass, after that session, she said, people don't come ready-made. It's something that we talk about a lot in our family because we want someone 
to just walk in and solve all of our problems. We want the killer songwriter or the killer worship leader or that, you know, that vocalist that can do the Christmas thing or we want someone to come in who's the the leader that can lead that area. And in actual fact, they're probably not going to come. But there is probably someone sitting in your congregation who has at least a glimmer of something that maybe, just maybe, could be what you need. And if you invest enough in them and you love them enough and you become, you know, you have real relationships with them and if you believe in them enough, maybe in three years they'll be the person you need. Maybe. Or in two years they might have had enough and they give up. (laughs) It can go either way. But people don't come ready-made. And again, with the invitation, I think that if we invite people to come on a journey with them and we're willing to put in the hard yards with them and we have vision for what they could be and we set them up to win, then they'll come with us on the journey. When I say set them up to win, good example is we have young worship leaders that are in their teens. We don't just put them on the convention centre platform and say, all right, off you go. And then, you know, hold up scorecards and like, okay, that was a four, you know. No, what we do is at the end of a service, they come and they lead just one song. And that would have been after they've already led in a smaller setting, you know, obviously in youth and then perhaps at team night and they've stood beside someone a lot of times, just not leading, not carrying the weight of the service, not having to do too much, but just standing there with the person going, you're doing great. This is awesome. Hey, you take this part. Okay, I'll take the rest. And just going with them and and sort of holding the reins, but then giving them the reins a little bit. And then at the end of the service, sometimes we'll, we'll just give them one song to lead. Just one. Not the whole service, not too much. And then afterwards, when they knock it out of the park, we celebrate with them. We're like, you did so good. Build their confidence really speak life into them and help them to know that they actually can do it. Because I don't know if you know, it's pretty daunting standing in front of a few thousand people and particularly as a teenager, people who are older than you and your peers and you having to encourage them and lead them in worship. I think it's uh, intimidating in a few thousand people and probably more intimidating when there's just a few hundred, you know, when it's your mum and dad and their friends and, you know, they're all like, what's this new United song you're trying to bring or you, you young and free thing or they're playing tracks, what's with the tracks? All that stuff. And so I think we have to realise what it's like to be that new person or to be what it's like to be wanting to contribute but not even sure you can <laughs> or the other way where you want to contribute and you're so, you think you're so great. <laughs> and so, so then you do it and it's not that good and... We have to be the kind of leader that invests in people both ways, wherever they find themselves, having enough relationship with them to be able to speak truth if it's not great and they love you even even more because you're not abandoning them or telling them off or any of that, but investing in them and investing in when they don't think they can do it, going with them on the journey. So my question here would be, who's your clone or your exit strategy? (laughs) Not that we're going anywhere. But, but, you know, who's that person that's with you all the way? There's a guy who, um, JP Stara, who's Autumn's husband, and he has just decided to come with me on the journey. He's decided to be my helper. I didn't ask him to, but he turns up. If I have to go to the 
to the airport early in the morning, he's the one who will take me. Not because I'm asking him, but because he wants to. And then he'll be the one who comes early to pick me up again. And I love that because now I want to invest into him because he's already leaning into me. And then there's other people that I've had to ask and you go, oh, you see something in them and you ask, you want them to, you know, come on with you on the journey. You want to sow into them and they don't want to. And so then you have to allow that as well and look for the people that actually are leaning in who want to come with you on the journey. Sometimes they're not the most expected people, sometimes the most unlikely people, but they're really they're enthusiastic and they want to do it. We want the shiny person, the awesome person, but sometimes just the willing person is who perhaps could be your clone. Anyways, number 10, great leaders innovate. This is a hard one, I think, in churches because we're so good at doing what we always do. We know what works and so we continue to do it or we know what we like and so we continue to do it. But I think it's a trap as well. When we just continue to do the same old, same old, the people in the congregation, some people will love it. Most people won't. They'll get bored. They don't want to maybe be pushed too fast to change and to move forward and be trying all the new things. But a little bit of forward momentum is good. An example would be the difference between Blockbuster Video and Netflix. (laughs) Blockbuster Video was a DVD rental company, as was Netflix. Now, Netflix was a postal service, whatever. They were slightly different in the way they approached it, but they both had DVDs. And Blockbuster didn't change with the times. They didn't innovate. They didn't move forward. And so now they're out of business, whereas Netflix did the opposite. When they saw the changing, the way that the internet was changing things, the way the environment was changing, they innovated with it. They became an entertainment company and now they're the biggest thing on the, on the planet. Now they're making their own movies and their own TV shows and everybody, it seems, has Netflix. But no one, no one, you know, young people don't even know what Blockbuster is. It's gone. Recently, we were driving with our family on the way to church and there's this shopping centre just near our house, a little old one. And we stopped just outside this shopping centre and Lily, our 15-year-old, she says, like, this is unlike her. She looks at it and she points out the window and she goes, I hope they bulldoze that place one day. I'm like, Lily, like, she's my little girl. What's come over you? You've become sinister. Wanting to bulldoze people's, people's shopping centres. But I had been thinking about this whole blockbuster video and Netflix thing. And I realised it was a similar situation where, you know, back in the day, some developer had this great idea of building a shopping centre. And so they raised some money, I guess, and they built the place. Eventually they get some doors in there and start getting the income from it. And I can imagine, this is all made up by the way, but I can imagine that they got comfortable because there's people paying the rent now. They've got money coming in. They don't need to do anything. And so over time, the building becomes a bit dilapidated, a bit older. It's not looked after because they're comfortable. They don't have to do any, make any changes because they've got the income coming in. And yet that's exactly what Blockbuster Video did. And I think it's exactly what we do in our churches. We think, well, we've raised money for that building fund. We've got the building now. Great. 
But in actual fact, you know those, like Pastor Brian said about beige, we've got those beige walls. They were great in the 1990s, I don't know, (laughs) at some point, but now that colour is maybe a bit out of fashion and so we probably have to invest in a tin of paint, probably have to invest some time to update it just so that it's current and so that people walk in and they go, oh, this isn't stuck in the 60s. This isn't in the past. And it's not for show, it's just to, so that it's not a distraction for people. Other thing about that is that our music, obviously we need to be moving forward with that as well and just keeping current. There's some classics that, you, you know, stand the test of time and we should always, you know, harken back to those great songs, great hymns of the faith. But, you know, for the majority of us, we should really be speaking in a language, in a way that people, that resonates with people today. So they walk into our church and they don't have to get past all of this stuff in order to connect with God. They can just actually connect with Him. So if we need to innovate for church and for team, but I wonder as well if we need to innovate ourselves. I wonder if you ever think about the sort of person you are and whether in your mindset, the way you think, the way you act, the way you interact with people, I wonder if it's stuck in time somewhere. When we often, like of late, Cass has been walking into our house and she's like, we need to get rid of those brown couches. I'm like, those brown couches are fine. (laughs) They're good leather couches. We got them when we were married, which was 20-something years ago. (laughs) They're fine, but it speaks to an era that's past. And it does make me think, am I getting stuck in the past? And how am I going to stay relevant to a new generation of creatives and of people coming into church if I just hold on to stuff from the past? Not for the sake of being cool or being, you know, just being showy or anything like that, but just from the perspective of being able to connect with people, actually minister to people and not become irrelevant to people. So I think we need to look at that for ourselves. So... The question here would be, what's one thing you can do better or different or in a new way in your local church? There's a scripture I love from Galatians 6, 4 and 5. We've probably referenced it already, but it says, make a careful exploration of who you are and the work that you've been given and then sink yourself into that. Don't be impressed with yourself and don't compare yourself with others. Each of you must take responsibility for doing the creative best that you can with your own life. I feel like if I said nothing else, that's a challenge in itself. To just take the Word of God, take the Scriptures to heart and actually work out if we are who we're meant to be in the Lord and work out where we need to grow, work out where we need to change. So next up, we've got today's Q&A. So we're answering some of your questions. Let's jump straight into it. So Cass, I've got you here to answer this specific question because I think it's a, an interesting one and I think you'll have an opinion about it. So <laughs> all um, right, Rich. Shelby asks, how do you keep all of your creatives happy without deterring from the senior pastor's vision? 
It's Go. not my job to keep creatives happy. <laughs> <laughs> we, you and I laugh. We're married, right? Um, yes, we are. <laughs> yes. And I've heard it said, happy wife, happy life, and mm. I think it's rubbish. I hey, don't... you haven't heard that from me, though. No, I haven't because you you say <laughs> it's not my job to keep you happy. And I think it's the same with our mm. creative team. As a creative pastor, I am not here to ensure everybody is happy. I hope they are, mm. but that's not my first goal. Mm. So my first goal is predominantly to do what I feel like Jesus has called us to do and yeah. to live biblically. Mm. And then my second thing is to build the kingdom and how I outwork that, Cassandra Langton, is at Hillsong Church under the vision of Brian and Bobby Houston. Mm. Do I always agree with Brian and Bobby Houston? No, I don't. But did I choose to submit to authority like I submit to Jesus? A hundred percent. So therefore, what is their vision has now become my vision and we will outwork it through the creative team. I think when you are a leader, our responsibility is to actually speak vision and purpose in a way that lets people find out how they can play a part, Mm. how they can find their fit and where they can serve. Mm. Will I always be happy doing that? Probably not because sometimes there will be too many hours, sometimes there will be too few hours, sometimes there will be um, things that they want to do, things that they don't want to do. That's part of the nature of serving mm. and dying to yourself and finding your fit in the kingdom is that you choose to come under authority and you choose to do things in and out of season when you're tired, when you feel like it, when you don't, when you're motivated, when you're not. Mm. And in 20 years of being at Hillsong Church, we've had to make decisions over and over again to stay mm. when we've been unhappy or when we haven't actually loved what we've been doing. So I think happiness is a relative term. <laughs> yeah. I think you can find joy in all seasons. Mm-hmm. And I think if you can continue to attach what you do to a higher purpose, mm. then there will be a meaningful contribution that you can make to building the church. Mm. I wonder if part of the answer is in learning to be an inspiring leader and right. to be able to create a culture of inspiration and one that follows the vision of the senior leadership. So. Yeah. Hopefully, in the church environment that Shelby is a part of, hopefully you can, um, you know what the vision is. You've got to own it, hey. Like and, actually right, part and of, teach your people to own it. Right. So mm. part of becoming happy is actually willingly choosing to serve that vision and loving it as if it's your own. That's it. So I know for us in our team, we've taken out pieces of our vision statement and put them on walls. And in fact, last night, Evie Gallardo, who is one of our pastors at our Greater Western Campus in Sydney, she sent me a piece of our vision statement that is on her wall in her um, green room. Mm. And she she literally sent this little picture and a face, you know, the emoji that's crying. <laughs> and it says, the church that I now see is a worshipping church whose songs reflect such a passion for Christ that others sense his magnificence and power. Mm. A distinct sound that emanates from a healthy church, contagious and spirit, creating music that resounds from villages and tribes to great cities and nations. Mm. So obviously she has got that inner spirit in a way that allows her Mm. to influence her team to find their place in that vision. Yeah. They're happy because they're doing that. Mm. And then people actually have to choose to buy in and sometimes let the things that they desire more die in light of doing something better together. Mm. So, Shelby, all the best with creating happy creatives, (laughs) whether it's your job or not. Thanks so much for the question. 
Hey, well, we've come to the end of season four, unfortunately. I've loved every minute of it, and I hope you have too. We're only going to take a short break, and we'll be back with you. Look out for a bonus episode. It's pretty cool, and I think you're going to like it. Also, if you'd like to, you can write a review of the podcast on Apple Podcasts or on iTunes. We'd love it. It really helps the podcast to be seen, and obviously gives us good feedback on what you like and maybe what you don't like. While we take a break, it'd be awesome if you wanted to go back and listen to any of the episodes that you've missed. We've had some really great guests on the podcast and they've dropped literal gold. (laughs) And so I'd encourage you to go back, perhaps subscribe and then listen to the episodes that you've missed because I think you'll find they're helpful. And we wanted to give you a few short weeks to be able to do that before we jump in to season five.